This is Laura Deirda with the Becker's Dental Plus DSO podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Steve Kachuris, who's the owner of SK Dental Consulting. And Steve, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Now, I know you have a really unique model with your consultancy. So could you tell us a little bit more about that as well as your background? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I have kind of a long background I've been in multiple industries, and it would be a long conversation. But um, I, I, I was in uh, business turnaround um, in the automotive industry um, and when I was in my 20s. And um, I went back to school um, for pre-med and pre-dent. Um, I, got a, I had a dual degree program. And I also had a business degree at the same time. And uh, I was pre-accepted in a medical school. Um, I decided to go to the medical school route instead of dental, but it was a hard decision. I was pre-accepted into Loyola Medical School in Chicago. And um, one thing kind of led to another. I went back to school when I was 30. So by the time I finished, I was, you know, I was 35. And um, so I thought, you know, I, I'd just gone through a divorce and, I come from a meager um, upbringing. You know, my family didn't have a lot of money. My dad died when I was young. And I just, it was very tough to think, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to medical school and do this all by myself with no help and no support. And medicine was changing at the time in the late 90s and managed care was taking over. And medicine was kind of going in a direction that, that I wasn't really crazy about. All my friends are doctors and dentists um, from high school that I've maintained friendships with. So um, I decided to take my background from business turnaround and marketing and customer service. Um, I built a business out of my parents' garage when I was 19 years old and grew up to the second largest in the United States. So I had a very entrepreneurial spirit and I managed a oral surgery office that had two locations for a while after I graduated. It was the same oral surgeon that I studied under when I went through my, um, my uh, internship for uh, dental. And we got along really well. And actually, one of my best friends, who's an oral surgeon in Indianapolis, um, studied under him in dental school. And so we had a good relationship through that. And um, he needed an office manager. And I wasn't sure really what what direction I wanted to take at the time. So I managed that for a while and frankly got bored. You know, there wasn't a lot of challenge there. And after a number of years, I kind of hit a ceiling there. And um, I was recruited by Northwestern Memorial Hospital in Chicago to run their uh, solid organ transplant unit. And I did that for a while. And um, there was a lot of bureaucracy there and red tape. And I'm somebody who likes to get things done really quick, right? And if we make a decision that we want to make an improvement, let's do it, right? Like, let's do it right now, today, you know? And there were committees for things and they, they moved very slow. And I was able to affect a lot of change there. I'm very proud of of what I accomplished um, at at the hospital, but uh, I knew it wasn't really my long-term goal. And I was approached by a group of Wall Street people that wanted to start a DSO. So we started one and we got up to four locations and there was a doctor who had to be part of the DSO in most states, including Illinois. You have to be a dentist um, to own a dental practice uh, legally. And the dentist that they chose as a partner, his life kind of spiraled out of control. It's a, it's a long story. But so the Wall Street people were like, you know, we were just doing this to have fun. It's not fun anymore. Um, the dentist is kind of not showing up for meetings and his life's kind of a problem. And this is becoming more a little more of a hassle than we really wanted to. 
So they just sold off the practices and that left me with no job. Um, so I thought, you know, I've done consulting before and then I've done turnaround before. Why don't I do this in the dental world? So I started small and I started with smaller offices, four or five op offices. And my model was to go in and stay for at least 12 months and be in the office every day, you know, and, and work, you know, 60, I've worked 80 hours a week for some clients um, and uncover what was lacking and then, uh, you know, come up with an action plan that was very unique to the owner of the business. Not every dentist likes to practice the same way. They don't have the same goals and vision. So it was very tailor-made to what they wanted to accomplish. We set out an action plan. And unlike most of the large consulting companies who actually dispense advice and they will look over your numbers and they will provide guidance and nothing against these companies, but I would actually go in and execute the action plan for the owner, for the dentist. Oftentimes they're in the mouth all day. They're drilling and filling like they should be. They oftentimes have no idea what the front of the house is doing and the business side. Uh, They're smart people. They're very motivated, but oftentimes they kind of fumble through the business side um, of the company. And I come in and I I put all the systems in and I, I document everything and create standard operating procedures. I sometimes I change everything. I've even changed the name of the office, the uniforms, uh, the website, everything gets changed typically. And it's a, it's a turnaround. Now, some of my clients were failing. Um, They would call me and say, I'm 60 days away from bankruptcy. I need your help. And um, if I was available, I, you know, luckily some, some of it was good timing and I was available and I would come and I did a, a big office in Florida that was failing and another huge 20 out practice in California recently that was failing and going bankrupt. And they, they just had a myriad of problems with which most offices do um, and, and turn them around. Now, some of my clients, probably 70% of my clients are doing well, um, but they just don't know what they don't know, if, if that makes sense. So, they don't um, know that there's better ways to do things. A lot of times there's not a lot of structure in the office. Their systems, if they have them, sometimes they're very loose or they're not followed. And I could, I bring in a set of, of systems that will work in any office and that can be modified again to meet the goals of the dentist owner. And so I've been very successful when I come in get to know the staff. I do a lot of listening for the first 30 days and just see what's going on. And then I attack, you know, I always say there's a thousand different moving parts in the dental office. And once you get all of those in alignment, it's a beautiful thing. And there's an explosion of growth. Um, For for the practice in Florida, for instance, they were down to about $100,000 a month in production, which they were actually losing money, Um, 25 new patients a month only. This is a big office and um, they, I don't know, they might've had, you know, 50 Google reviews. And so in nine months they were up, I got them up to 275 a month in production, 125 new patients a month. And they had the most Google uh, reviews in, in, in Jacksonville, Florida. So, um, but I changed, I had to change everything. Um, And the, the clients that, that will hire me have to understand 
I have to be a hundred percent in control. Otherwise it doesn't, it doesn't work. So, um, that's, that's my unique, um, approach to consulting. And because I typically have these long projects and I only work with one person at a time, I don't have a website. I don't advertise because if I did, and I had people calling me all the time, unfortunately, I, I would, might not have time to actually spend with them. So I'm pretty much under the radar. It's a, it's a very unique kind of um, kind of a boutique consulting that I do. That's really fascinating and great to see what um, fantastic results you've gotten with those practices that you do work with for that year and really execute a, a strong turnaround. And, and, you know, I'm wondering for those that you do work with who are, are failing and, and need your help in order to um, stay afloat, I suppose, you know, what are some of the big themes that you often see or um, trends in terms of, you know, the, the issues that come up with these types of practices um, and, you know, how do you avoid them, I guess? Yeah, it's, you know, there's a lot of common themes and interesting that the approach that I take when I work with a practice that's failing versus a practice that's doing well, that they just want to do better. Interestingly enough, I do the same thing. Um, and so there's, 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 just, there's just basic principles and systems that you need to put in place um, to have a successful practice. And oftentimes um, I see, a, and, and I don't want to offend any dentists out there, but oftentimes they have a hard time with confrontation and holding people accountable. Um, and again, in all fairness, their you know their job is to be dental surgeons all day, and they're very busy. They should be, they should have no time to even go sit at their desk and check their Facebook. They should be on the floor all day, right? And so they don't have a lot of extra time to kind of see the mechanics of the business and what's going on. How are people answering the phones? Um, are they collecting money like they should? You know, what's your accounts receivable? I look at everything. I mean, even down to, I hope we're not using the cheapest toilet paper in the restroom. And are the restrooms clean? Does the office smell nice? Is it is a, is a lobby clean? And don't call it a waiting room, by the way. It's a lobby, you know. Um, nobody likes to wait. So waiting room has a negative connotation. And so, even the verbiage that you use, you know, is very important on the phone and how you talk to patients. And so um, I, I think that if a, if a solo dentist is going to have a five or six office and they're going to relinquish their control to uh, let's quote, quote unquote, call them an office manager, they have to truly have a manager. Oftentimes what the office manager winds up um becoming or they hire for are somebody that basically just kind of runs the front desk operations. Um, and oftentimes they're not really fully qualified to do it. Maybe they were, maybe the dentist picked just the most qualified dental assistant and they promoted them to manage the whole office. And it's great to promote from within, but you really have to have somebody that can deal with the HR component, hiring, firing, holding people accountable, um, corrective progressive coaching right you know first strike second strike three strikes you're out um and and then managing all the numbers i see so many dentists that just don't even look at the numbers and what they how they gauge 
the success of their practice is what's in their bank account at the end of the month that their accountant tells them that they have, you know, there's so many KPIs or key performance indicators that you need to look for. I mean, there's, there's so many, and you know, the, that's like a dashboard on a car and, and they've developed um, since, since I started in dentistry 24 years ago, they've developed dashboards. There's a number of them out there that will pull from your practice management system and put the numbers and these KPIs in a more usable um, interface. So there's charts and graphs. It's like a dashboard on a car, if you will. And so the, the staff can kind of look at that and anybody knows what a speedometer in a car looks like um, or like a bar chart. And you can kind of see trends that way. The staff can digest that and it's more actionable um, and, and it's kind of dumbed down, if you will. And so oftentimes um, these practices are, are run very skip shot. And I always say to my friends that aren't in dentistry, I found that dentistry is one of those few businesses that the owner can kind of stumble through and still at the end of the year, make a pretty healthy living. And so because of that, sometimes they don't realize that the power they, they would have to, to, you know, double or triple their business and then also have less headaches, happier staff, some structure in the office, and then, you know, some, some protocols and some um, rules for patients to follow, right? So that they pay their bills when they're supposed to and they show up to their appointments. And I see so many new clients I talk to and I look at their, uh, I talk to their front desk or I look at their accounts and I'll see, you know, patient failed, you know, failed means they didn't show, they didn't call, they just no showed on you. Um, Or they canceled within an hour of their appointment. And I'll see notes like, this is the fifth time this person did this in the last six months. And they'll make a note of it, but they don't do anything about it. So you have to train your patients just like you have to train your staff. And um, there's just so many moving parts and protocols and standard operating procedures and systems that have to be in place. And again, you can, you can operate very loosely and still make a healthy income. But I see a lot of practices that are operating kind of like, kind of like a, a hobby, more like than than really a serious business. And again, even even operating that way, oftentimes the owners can can still make a real healthy healthy living. But oftentimes, even with that, comes a lot of stress. You know, um, there's a lot of drama in the office. The dentists oftentimes don't know how to handle that, so they just kind of put their head in the sand and they don't address it. Then you have some toxic environments and it's hard to attract new staff or you have a new staff and they leave because there's some bullies in the office or clicks. And, um, you know, dentistry is all people. It's a people business on both sides. You're, you're not working on cars, right? Um, so you're, you're working on people, you're dealing with people and it's a very intimate service you're providing. And oftentimes people are scared to death. Most people don't enjoy coming to the dentist, like not going to the movie theater or let's go go to the pick out a new car, a new TV to buy. That's exciting. You know, oftentimes people view dentist dentistry as kind of a, a necessary chore and sometimes they're just downright terrified. So you have to try to market and attract those patients and, and keep them as happy as you can, create a, a positive experience for them. And you have to have happy staff to do that and people that like coming to work every day. And um, 
the culture is super important. I think that's one of the the main things that that I work on and that I stress is, um, you know, making sure that the staff is uh, that you show the staff appreciation and that you pay them well and that you kind of share the wealth with them through through incentives and bonus systems and profit sharing and things like that. So um, I would just say that um, the systems, you know, you have to have systems. I, I can tell you a quick story of the, the client that I'm working with now and the, um, the, I told the owners when I came there, I just visited for one day and I just poked around the management system and I looked at a few patient accounts that have had left and received their treatment and they left already. And I noticed that they didn't collect their, let's call it a copay, but it's their estimated patient portion in dentistry. It's what that they, they know that they have to pay out of pocket for, for the services that day. And they weren't collecting that. And I thought that was interesting. Maybe it's one of these practices, like in the old days, we'll do the treatment and we'll just send you a bill, Mrs. Jones, you know, that's kind of the way they did it, you know, 30, 40 years ago. And I thought, well, maybe this is the way they like to operate. So I mentioned that I said, you know, your front desk is not collecting at the time of service. Is that your, is that your protocol? And I'm like, oh no, no, they're collecting. I said, no, they're not. Actually, every patient that left today didn't pay a dime. And not only that, I went back two years they haven't been collecting for two years. Oh, wow. And they almost fell out of their chair. They said, I can't believe that. We just had a meeting about this like six months ago with, they hired this other consulting firm and, and, and they, they did a whole seminar with the front desk staff and, oh, that, I, that, that can't be. I said, well, look, check for yourself. And so the interesting part of that was, why didn't the owners know this wasn't happening? This wasn't an isolated incident. Mrs. Jones forgot her wallet and didn't pay. They, the front desk people, decided on their own that they just weren't going to collect anymore. They had no authority to make that decision. But so these things happen unless there's somebody watching over. There has to be a captain of the ship, right? Otherwise, the ship just drifts off and hits a sandbar and sinks. I mean, so even in a even in a practice that had um, an accountant kind of on staff and looking at all over, never even thought to check. And so there's a system for collecting and then there's a way to make sure it, it's done. It's that um, 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 trust, but verify that Ronald Reagan coined, you know, with Russia, you know, you want to trust your staff, but you have to check and make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Even if you're just spot checking, um, that's just management. And I find it so interesting these days where, especially a lot of the younger people, when you're trying to manage them or holding a, hold them accountable, they'll always complain, you're micromanaging me. Um, and they confuse managing with micromanaging. You know, somebody has to be kind of inspecting what you do, you know. And um, so you, you definitely have to have somebody in place to do that. Um, so you have to hire, if you're not going to do it yourself as, as the owner dentist, and that means staying after work or doing that on a Saturday in your time off. But you, you know, your practice isn't just on autopilot. Somebody has to be watching over everything. There's also a lot of um, embezzlement in, in the dental world, way more than other businesses. And it's because of what I alluded to earlier. You have Sally at the front desk. She's been with you for 20 years. Oh, I trusted her. I can't believe she embezzled from me. 
the client I told you in Cal in Florida that that was just 60 days away from losing everything, his house, everything. His front desk person that was with him for 20 years embezzled $100,000 um, over the course of nine months, and nobody nobody caught it. Nobody was checking. And then she took out a line of credit in his name for 25000 and drained that. And mm. so I said to him, don't you have an accounting firm like checking over your numbers? He said, yeah, but I, I called them and evidently I didn't buy that level, that package or something that included them kind of looking over things. And I'm like, that's just basic stuff that they should have been doing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so there's so many different pitfalls in, in this, in, in this industry. And, um, but it all really comes down to, systems for everything. There's a system for collecting money for when patients cancel too often um, for the documents that they come as a new patient and they give you um, over the counter for verifying insurance, for following up on insurance claims that, that haven't paid for some reason. There has to be defined systems and then there has to be somebody checking on those systems. And when you have a practice like the one that I'm consulting with now, 30 employees, five doctors, seven hygienists, um, you know, th there was just a lot of systems that were not even in place. So many offices I work with that say that they're super organized. I'll come in and they're not even balancing their cash flow, cash drawer, their petty cash when they open and close and they don't have checklists for things. And so it's, it's a very, it's, it's not rocket science. What I do, it's very interesting. It's very Actually, it's very straightforward, but um, so many people just don't bother to get that granular and have systems in place. It's, and it's very repeatable. Once you do it, you can just keep doing it that same way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great insight. And, you know, kind of like you said, just boils down to being really organized and having the right systems in place. But it's easier said than done, I'm sure, especially, you know, when your background is not in business, but but more in the um, you know, taking care of patients and those kinds of things. So I, I think before, yeah, yeah before we wrap yeah, up absolutely. our conversation, um, I just had one more question for you. Um, what are you most excited about when you think about the future of dentistry and the future of, you know, where healthcare is headed? What's kind of exciting to you? Oh, there's a number of things. I think um, some of the trends that I like are, I remember um, there's, there's things called membership plans or discount plans, and they're in dental offices for people that don't have dental insurance. And these were kind of shunned by a lot of dentists because they said, in other words, how it works is there are a number of different ways it could be set up, but um, it could be a set amount per year. Usually it's like $300. And with that, you get two cleanings and you get x-rays and you get status exams and things for a year and you pay that annual fee and you also get discount off of the regular fees because if you don't have insurance, you have to pay full fee, right? So you get anywhere from some people offer 10, some people offer 20% and it's, it's a smart model. And I, I embraced it as soon as I saw this trend coming, you know, coming out. And so many clients I work with would fight me on it and say, why would I want to take my cash paying patients that are used to paying full fee and now I'm offering this discount plan? What if they want to sign up for it too? How do we prevent them from doing it? And I'm like, you don't want to prevent them from doing it. You want to encourage it. 
And they're like, why would I want to give all this money away? And so what the research actually, the hard research has been shown after the last couple of years, particularly, is people that have these membership or discount plans actually do 50% more dentistry because they feel they have something like insurance. It's not insurance, but they have something like it and they actually do more work. So you actually make much more money. So that's a trend. Almost every office now that I'll poke around and look at some of my competition on the internet, almost all offices are having these discount plans now. And it's really smart. It's good for the community. It's great for the patient. It makes dentistry more affordable. And I'll give you a quick example. So Delta Dental for a, a crown on a tooth um, typically will pay around in our area $700. But our full fee, our normal fee, is around 1300 So that's a, lot, a big discount that you have to give Delta Dental patients that have the Delta Dental insurance because you agree to a lower fee to attract those patients to your practice. Our discount plan, um, normally the, the, the crown is 1300 It's 900 on the discount plan. So it's a huge benefit to the patient. They get a 35% discount. But if you look at what we would get from Delta Dental, 700 we get 900 for the cash paid patient. We don't have to file any claims or argue with the insurance company or anything. We get the money that day. So it's, it's really beneficial for everybody. And once the, the clients I work with understand that and they try it, there's this paradigm shift and it clicks and they're like, oh, Okay, it does make sense, but they fight it initially. So that's one one um, trend that I, I see. Another huge one, obviously, is is the DSOs. I think it's very difficult for a sole practitioner, a, you know, sole business owner, to be able to do to manage all the things that I had said earlier in the conversation by themselves. When you have a management team that helps you with the marketing and the accounting and the HR piece of the equation and and, and they maybe can help you open a second location. They can provide financing and guidance. Um, and with seasoned, seasoned professionals like somebody like myself that really knows the business and knows how to optimize your business and help you grow it. And it's just, it's very tough to be on your own. And I see that, that trend, it's, it's really accelerating in the last couple of years. And, and so much private equity money is coming and realizing that dentistry is a great business to be in, right? And I also would I also think that there would be a fusion, and I think Aspen Dental is playing around with this, is there could be like a fusion between the medical and the dental industry. In other words, you could have dental care in medical buildings. So there's there's a synergy there between dental and medical because um, the what happens in the mouth really affects the whole systemic body and and there's tons of evidence about that and i think that would be an interesting trend to to explore um in the dentistry world to to see a, a kind of a melding of of the the medical and dental together in, in one facility absolutely i think it's fascinating to see you know that, that fusion as you um, presented it, but in, in thinking about how dental and oral care really affects the entire um, person and, and their wellness and their care experience is very, very important. So thank yeah. you so much, Steve, for joining us on the podcast today. I, I really appreciate your insights. You have some fascinating examples and really, really interesting things to say. So I appreciate that. Oh, and I look yeah. forward to connecting with you again soon. 
Yeah, yeah, it was it was my pleasure. And again, I was, I'm very honored that you asked me to speak and I'm always available in the future.